You're listening to the AID Network. Greetings, citizens of Disneyland. I would say fellow citizens, but as you know, my citizenship is still pending and will be for quite some time as the park is closed. But as the park is closed, you know that I have decided to start doing Disneyland for Designers each and every Wednesday. And along with that decision, because I am a full-time content creator podcaster, comes a couple of other side decisions. And one of those was, it's time, it's time, it's time. Head over to Instagram for my brand new at Disneyland for Designers account, where you can follow along with Disneyland for Designers, as well as all the different Disney content that I make over there each and every day. You'll be able to find a post that shares the love of the design and magic of Disneyland in the way that we do with Disneyland for Designers. In fact, for today's episode, we have posted the facades that we will be speaking about as we look at the facades of Fantasyland. Before we get to that, I want to give a special thanks to Drew McVie, whom I awarded our rare Adventureland Lifetime of Adventure Reward. He's one of our new supporters at Anchor.fm Disneyland for Designers. I took away the four. It was too confusing, just like the name. Anchor.fm Disneyland for Designers. We're now live each and every Wednesday until Disneyland opens up. And if we get enough folks like Drew McVie who decide to support us over there, maybe, just maybe, we'll be able to keep Disneyland for Designers weekly, all year long, every year. If you want to support the show, I'd greatly appreciate it. This is my full-time job. Head over to anchor.fm slash Disneyland for Designers, and you can become a supporter of the show and help it show up to you each and every Wednesday. With all that being said, what do you say we get started with episode 17, The Facades of Fantasyland? And I love, I love how niche this topic is. Today's episode of Disneyland for Designers is brought to you by our friends over at jackprince.com slash C-O-T. That stands for Circle of Trust, where you will save. And right now, everyone is saving at jackprince.com, where the entire website is 20% off. So if you're looking to get t-shirts, stickers, or any kind of custom printing made, jackprints.com slash C-O-T, entire website right now, 20% off. You do not want to miss out on this opportunity to get industry-leading printing at 20% off. Thank you so much, Jack Prince, for supporting Disneyland for Designers and all episodes of the AID Network. This is the story of a beautiful place known as the happiest place on earth and all of its history its secrets and its tricks that you may find if your mind believes in design and you allow your heart to believe in magic step inside and become a citizen of Disneyland Greetings, fellow citizens of Disneyland. Thank you so much for showing up to another lap around Walt's original Magic Kingdom. Today, Jared and I are going to be looking at what I think would be the part of the park that would surprise him the most if he could come back somehow and look at his living, breathing project. 
because Fantasyland was always known as Walt's favorite part of the park. And in 1983, when they decided to give it the look that it's worthy of and make it look like a real village that lives safely within the confined walls of Sleeping Beauty's castle, it was one of the best upgrades in the entire history of the park. So today, close your eyes and in your mind's eye, visit us standing in front of Sleeping Beauty's castle on this beautiful compass rose on a spring day where everything else melts away and problems go away when you step inside the walls of Disneyland for the day. It's Disneyland for Designers, Episode 17, The Facades of Fantasyland. he gonna show up man oh there he is there's hey. there's my knight in cute shining armor i Jared, made it how are you sir i'm doing okay considering how are you well i'm doing fantastic and it's so nice to meet you in the park you've been it is been busy making things look cute all day yep as always business as usual just can't leave the house usually except for this of course well yeah 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 well uh you know i was up in LA, hopping around the studios, doing my usual of interviews. Right. Just flew down here on the five. Traffic was horrendous. Oh, good. but I, I took that tram ride, and now we're standing in front of one of the most beautiful buildings in the world, aka Sleeping Beauty's Castle. But nah. do you know why I had you meet me right here in this Compass Rose? No, this is awfully far in the park for us. Usually it's it's further out. Well, I knew that with me coming down from L.A. that you would probably get there before me. So I just said, we'll meet in the park tonight. But somehow I beat you in because, well, you know, I know all the secret paths. But that's right. The reason why we're standing on this Compass Rose where mm. there's everybody in the world right now is getting their photo taken in front of the castle and they don't mm-hmm. know. You got, you got a second for a pro tip? <laughs> yeah, always. <laughs> okay, here's what you do. You don't wait in line for the photographer. You go over to the bridge that's going over Sleeping Beauty. You either go to the left or to the right in those first little enclaves. Now, mm-hmm. if you step on the other side of the little pier, see that little pier right there in the enclave? Mm-hmm. You step right on the other side of that and you get yourself right. You can use your head to block out all the people on the bridge selfie in front of the castle nobody in the background do it all the nice. time do it all the time very nice so it doesn't matter how crowded it is it'll look like you're getting this great castle shot because of the angle of the bridge and where you're standing you can always get a shot there with, without anybody behind you and i do miss remember those benches that were on the other two enclaves mm-hmm, mm-hmm. those those are long gone but the reason why i wanted to meet you today at this beautiful compass rose is did you know that right now you and I are standing on top of the Disneyland time capsule? I did. I did know this. Is yes. that fascinating? The The timing on this is really interesting, I think. Like, I believe this was for the, uh, what was it, the, the 40th it was anniversary? On the, and it's going to come out in just a quick 15 years when the park reopens. Doesn't seem long enough, does it? 40 it years? Seems, <laughs> it seems like for in Disneyland time, like... 
I don't know. I, mean, I, I feel like it'd go way. long. If they would have put a capsule in in January yeah. of 2020 and pulled it out like, <laughs> in, in January 21, it would yes. feel like a really long time. People would panic and scream and run in horror. Absolutely, they would. <laughs> but no, I, I love the idea that, that that time capsule is just sitting in the park waiting to get pulled out. And, and it's that kind of like future planning that yeah. makes Disneyland truly special. You know, it, it makes it the place that everybody wants to be right now. Right, right. Because it's kind of, there's confidence that this will be an event in 40 years and at the time must have seemed like, oh, so far off. Do you, I, I know of this in general, um, but I do not know what's inside. Was that a whole thing of what they were putting inside? Was it symbolic and announced or is it like a surprise after 40 years? There were some items and I don't have them standing here yeah. in the middle of the park. I don't have the list in front of me. Of but uh, there were some items that were announced and some items that are secretive. Uh, but try to do things that would represent and that was the same summer that indiana jones opened up ah okay okay yeah, yeah. so that just makes me feel extremely old yeah not so much nostalgic just very old yeah well you'll feel even older in 2035 when they <laughs> pull it out and that's going to be interesting so when they break the ground here yeah and pull it out do they put another one in do they do they make a different compass rose right here? I mean, I would be so curious to see what the replacement pavement job looks like. And do they literally like break the ground and pull it out in right. front of everybody? Or do they pull it out like overnight and then have it sitting like on an altar? Like I'm so curious about, cause like personally I would want to see them smash the ground and like sifting through the dirt and be like, I found it. Yeah, I feel like with Disney and Disney fashion, it'd be something they do like that. They're going to clever this area, right? Yeah. And they sort of, they break it open and, and they get to it and then they recover it in some kind of fake like covering just so it looks like, oh, we're lifting it up for the big reveal. You know, I, like, I mean, it, it wasn't long enough ago, though, for this to be too crazy. Like, it'd be great if it was from like the opening day of the park or something like that. Like, wouldn't it be nice if there was something, like, totally inappropriate by today's standards that they're all worried about? That they're like, we got to get that out of there before we open this thing. Well, you know, I, I was around back then. That's when I was <laughs> part of senior management. And right. um, I'm a big fan of Splash Mountain. So I threw, the, I, <laughs> I threw the VHS copy of a certain movie in there. So we'll see if that holds up 40 years Timeless. later. Timeless. Timeless classic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uncle Ramus, the world could use you right now. <laughs> so let's do this. Today, what we're going to be talking about, if you haven't read the cover, we're going to be talking about the facades of Fantasyland. Ah. And this is a real designer's designer's conversation. Mm. Um, and, you know, I know everybody wants to talk about the rides inside of these buildings, but the facades of Disneyland, or, or in particular, the facades of Fantasyland are, I, I just think, some of the best Disney magic, some of the best Disney design that exists in the park. And often people will say, if Walt came back right now, hmm. what do you think would impress him the most? Mm -hmm. And I believe how much he loved Fantasyland and how Fantasyland mm -hmm. was sort of the cornerstone of what built his empire. You know, taking those old publicly owned fairy tale stories, mm -hmm. but privately wrapping them with the 
the Peter Pan that would become the face of Peter mm-hmm. Pan, right? Like taking free intellectual property and wrapping your own um, visual identity around it to where you own something that's actually in the public domain. I mean, mm-hmm. anybody here could go make a Snow White print or, or poster or book or, or Cinderella, but you couldn't do it with their characters. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely right. Yeah, no, this is... Um... I was thinking about this a lot as we were approaching this episode, and this is so distinctly Disneyland for for so many reasons, and we'll get into it as we go further in. But I think this is the one... For one thing, there are so many attractions (laughs) packed into this one area, right? Like, no other area of the park has this many attractions to to house in such a small area. Yeah, nothing comes close. Um, uh, But the facades themselves, I think, to me, this represents Disneyland... Uh, and specifically Anaheim Disneyland in a way that nothing else in the park does. So I'm excited to dive in on this. And I think that's why I would say that if Walt could see one thing that would really blow him away is to go from the old medieval carnival fair facades that these Mm -hmm. attractions had on opening day in 83 when they would open up what would be dubbed New Fantasyland, um, giving it a Bavarian cream outside (laughs) Yes. Did I get that wrong? Sure. No, no, no. I think that's great. Bavarian that's great. cream. I think that's what it is. Um, <laughs> giving it that sort of a an outer wrap or facade really it puts the fantasy in fantasy land. And um, being someone who was late to find the park but obsessed with its history, mm-hmm. there's been so many mind-blown moments for me in researching its past. And when I mm. found out that it didn't always looked like a Bavarian cream village. It blew my mind. Right. Blew my mind. Um, So I really think that this would be the one thing that would really, really, really like just blow him away of seeing like, oh my God, not only is my my park still here, but the amount of love and, and, and TLC that's been put into it is mind blowing. So I thought before we actually cross the bridge, before hmm. we go into what they did in 83, because we're standing here, what do you say we go over to the Fantasy Fair real quick? Because okay. this just opened up in the last few years. This is, mm-hmm. uh, I believe, I want to say 2013, 2014. Don't have notes in front of me. Why, why bother? Um, mm-hmm. But I think that what's interesting about Fantasy Fair is this is Disneyland basically um, knocking off their own work, right? Like this is this is them saying, okay, we did this once. We made a style guide. And everybody knows as a designer, it's it's... it's something to be able to do it once but it's Mm -hmm. a whole other thing to be able to like do that again so when we step over here into the fantasy fair what i love so much about this particular design and the theme of what they've been able to do with their their fantasy land village theme is you you take an incredibly small amount of space Mm -hmm. and you make so many different pockets that it creates an enormous amount of depth and it takes what should be right now you and I are, are standing in front of a, a, a shop a mm-hmm. hallway and a building that we really can't get into unless we're doing a meet and greet but it feels like eight different buildings in front of us right right for sure for sure what's interesting about this area too is and there was some controversy when this when this was going to be uh, planned it to me it makes complete sense to do this area before i understand that there's a tradition of it and it was one of those 
when Walt was around kind of things. Um, so I get that. But if you're going to sort of modernize this, this is the best way, I think, to modernize that area. And it's a great use of the space. It's a great use of, um, because there's a princess meet and greet there. There is a, there's a show that's fantastic. And so they are still able to maintain what was uh, very popular about this area, using it as sort of a um, multi-purpose space so that it's not an attraction or something like that. They still host the uh, dancing and stuff there every now and then. But it fits just so seamlessly. If you didn't know your Disneyland history and you just came to Disneyland, you would think this was always that way. It would, it would be difficult to explain how this wasn't the way it was from the beginning, and, or at least from the 83 remodel. And, and, you know, this fits in so well with what they did in 83, but once again, it would be easy for somebody to think like, oh, wow, this is how they built this in, in 55, because... This is how Europe was built a hundred years before that. And mm-hmm. it really does add the fantasy in it. But what I find so interesting is like, look up there at, at those shutters with just the mm-hmm. heart cut out of them. And, and then if we, you know, each little building has its own different set of shingles and the amount of detailing. And, and you know, this is somebody who's been able to take complicated characters and simplify them down to the mm-hmm. proper balance of cute. Each one of these facades, like if we just go from the, the, the shop over to the, the hallway, which is one of the best shortcuts in all of Disneyland, mm-hmm. look at how the windows are different, the doorways are different, the columns yep. that go in, there's a, like a cathedral, uh, a cathedral type um, spire on top of the hallway, the weather vanes, and then we come over here to the blue tiles that are bigger and chunkier, and just like every um, little bit twists and turns but has its own signature piece to it to make it feel like a different villager's building but then blends effortlessly into the next one yeah no this is um again i think Fantasyland. what they were able to like okay, so once we get through into Fantasyland, we'll see a lot of this this is this is what is amazing about that area um but they've maintained it here so well to insinuate buildings that maybe these things just go back they're not just dressing one large building which pretty much they are here <laughs> Everything looks sort of like its own little distinct thing. And like that is a shop as opposed to just being connected, you know, to the other parts of uh, the same structure. Um, That's what I love about it. And it creates this very charming but like intimate feeling. So it feels like a small town and not just like one building dressed up to be um, some old worldy looking thing. Um, And again, it fits so perfectly well with the existing fantasy land. And, you know, this is an interesting spot being in the, the fantasy fair because it it's kind of a no man's land of Disneyland because mm-hmm. Sleeping Beauty is part of Fantasyland, but it's also the heart of the park. So it feels right. uniquely different than, than everything else. I mean, it feels like the anchor for everything. And so you have this little pocket, which would, if we're making sense out of this, these are sort of the villagers that live on the outskirts of, mm-hmm. of town, right? And right. It, and it makes sense. I mean, this used to be Carnation Plaza. This is the home of the very first ever Disneyland um, uh, holiday celebration. This is where the first Christmas at Disneyland was celebrated uh, mm-hmm. in the old Holiday Bowl. I mean, this is this is an, a weird area, but I think making it the villagers that live outside of the the proper the, the King's Village um, kind of plays more into the narrative of so many of our princesses. Are outsiders? You know what I mean. They're they're people yeah. that weren't born into royalty, but somehow that becomes their their hero or heroine's journey. Uh, what I think's interesting though is the sense of scale of there's 
always stairs going up to a second story. But unlike Main Street, where we get an over-exaggerated first floor, and then a three-quarter second floor, and then a half-quarter uh, to scale, I should say, third floor, these are just all completely off. Mm-hmm. Which I think mm-hmm. probably makes it more imagination focused to like a, a child's mind because to them everything feels big and the way that these buildings like literally fold around like pockets it probably just feels like it, it hugs you from all around while you're you know waiting to get your photo taken or waiting to go see the princess that you want to meet that day yeah to me this is i was thinking about this too this it, it's like um it might lean more towards a toontown aesthetic right like yeah. because it's it's got more of a fairy tale approach to an existing style of a village but it's not anything concrete like it's borrowing from a lot of elements but it is just as stylized as toontown is but just in a more i don't know serious or classical way you know toontown's all whimsical this one doesn't go quite that far but the aesthetic of it is pretty similar the approach that we are sort of creating a a fake version of this um it's just as comforting as as i think what they did in toontown that's an excellent comparison to the two and that goes to show how everything Disney does is standing on the shoulders of the giants that came before, right? Mm. And so I took it upon myself right now, while there is not a lot of Disneyland going on, I took four images that were shown to us at D23 way, way, way back, like so long ago in a time called 2019, August. Mm. Bob Chapek showed four different images of what the future Avengers attraction Mm. could look like, the E-ticket. And I said, well, with budgets being slashed and everything being moved around, this may never happen. How close could I come to building an attraction based off of four images? And when Mm -hmm. I did it, I didn't do it in in an impossible sense. Make the attraction based off of four images, but not just like this wild, like impossible way. Like take all of the technology that exists at Disneyland and think about how would they take what already exists and improve it with a little bit of practical magic and like 1% new technology, you know, like Rise mm-hmm. of the Resistance blew us away, but you can see that it borrows from the history of Disneyland. Yes. And this area, definitely, you nailed it. It borrows from Toontown, which borrows from what they did with Fantasyland. And I think what we're going to look at a lot today is how, in particular, since you know, Fantasyland 83 is basically, um, and then Toontown, those were the two new neighborhoods in the park. And you see a lot of this architecture style in mm-hmm. the uh, Galaxy's Edge. Right. Yes. A lot yes. of it. And maybe this started with Adventureland, but if Adventureland is like the beta version, you see Fantasyland be like 1.0 and then Galaxy's Edge be 2.0 of how they mm-hmm. really got down this sort of architectural storytelling in making, you know, I guess 1.0 would actually be Main Street when they took four big buildings and made them look yes. like an entire street. So yes. what do you say we work our way into uh, to Fantasyland and let's let's just start over here in the back corner. Now, I'm, I'm always going to call it this because I think that it is such a beautiful facade. I, I'm always going to call it the village house mm-hmm. or village halls. Halls, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I know now it's what, Red Rose Tavern? Yes, yes. Beauty and the Beast themed. But this area over here, kind of, you know, a little bit of uh, a forgotten part of Fantasyland because people see it, well, that's a restaurant and I'm not hungry. Mm-hmm. But this might be one of the best facades 
inside of Fantasyland because it has to do so much heavy lifting of first part's bathrooms, second part is courtyard for eating, this other part jets over to separate the second courtyard, and then we kind of have to hide Peter Pan and everything. Like, there's a lot of heavy lifting that's going on in, in this facade over here. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's true. Uh, it's one of the most popular restrooms, I think, uh, in the park. <laughs> you hit it every time. Uh, I think I do. Um, but it is. It's a gorgeous. It's a gorgeous restaurant, and I was kind of sad to see it transition from the Pinocchio theme to this uh, Beauty and the Beast theme, which is fine. It, it makes sense. And if we were to get an actual Beauty and the Beast attraction, it would make even more sense. Um, but it, it, the structure itself is gorgeous, and they, they really only changed sort of paintings on the interior and, and things like that. The structure itself didn't change, but it's a gorgeous, one of the most I think heavily themed restaurants, uh, really in the park. Where it's not, you know, it is actually counter service. It's not a sit down restaurant, but um, I'd say it's up there with like Blue Bayou or something like that as far as fitting into the land that it comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, um, it's a great place. It's a very busy place, so it can be very crowded um, just because of its location there i think you get a lot of families in there and um they do some like fun treats like exclusive treats and stuff in there too so it can be pretty busy but i do i do love eating there whenever i can i i think what it brings me into this so much is with over in fantasy fair it, it's a lot smaller so every mm-hmm. building every new building or pocket is about every six to eight feet. And here we have a little bit more space to make these shops feel like a little bit more lifelike. Mm-hmm. But it's going from the like old villager, like mud style plaster over to bricks where each brick has its own subtle like gradient and staining in it to different color bricks. And then you have the plaster with the, the woodwork on the outside, which yep. feels real like, you know, craftsmen. And then there's actually homes in my neighborhood that are inspired by this look and by Disneyland mm-hmm. that have that like curving tile that goes around and, and you know once again the second floor the second floor just makes it feel so epic that like who lives above the village house what's mm-hmm. going on up there and you know as you and I are standing here and we look around everything has somehow its own accent its own signature design uh, technique to it but it doesn't clash or feel too busy it is the Mm -hmm. perfect amount of detail that makes it feel real but never goes over the threshold of being gaudy and too much I think too, like a lot of it just lent to the um, the color palette. Um, the color palette is so restrained, but yet colorful. Uh, but you look at that kind of bluish color there, like that's amazing, right? Like it'd be very easy to make these all sort of mauve or taupe or like you know a very right. neutral color. But there is that sort of whimsical approach to the color without it being again like Toontown, right? Like it's not going over the top and saying this is a cartoon version of the village. It's just enough to sort of make it look like a distinct village from the next little piece there. And now that looks like a whole different building, even though this is all parts of one large structure. And you know the the weather vanes and mm-hmm. clocks and decks and different shaped windows and pockets. Like it really makes you feel like so much could be happening. And I feel like this little area in particular, like from the village house entryway over, this feels a lot. Once we've passed Oga's Cantina, there's Mm -hmm. that little green villagers like hut 
where their stairs are on the side are on the street that we're on. There's right. a fence blocking it off because obviously everybody would go up the stairs and try to open the door, um, <laughs> and, and rightfully so. I mean, in Galaxy's Edge, when there's no signs, people grab any door that they can. Be like, well, if this one worked, maybe that one will. Uh, but I just see a lot of that influence over here. And look over on the far corner. Look how the the water drain has that weird bend in it for no particular reason just to make yeah. it look more like oh that was the workaround to to make it fit um do you know what part of the world the influence comes from for the actual paintings that we see on some of these buildings like the the flourishes and flowers that are that feels to me very dutch but i don't know for certain if that's where that comes from yeah i'm not sure because a lot of this comes from pinocchio but i don't know how much pinocchio was so pinocchio is an italian story and, and pinocchio is supposed to take in a <laughs> supposed to take place in a tuscan village but i i don't know how much of the disney artists actually looked at tuscan villages or if they're borrowing from a more broader european more time appropriate thing than they are a cultural thing so i don't know if, if it's um if anything is that specific or not i'm sure there's a story to absolutely everything here and since the thing was themed to pinocchio before i would think that that's the way it would lean but i don't i don't know for sure and i'm sure someone out there is probably has done more research on this than I have and, and can scream and say, no, you idiot. That's not Italian. It's well, Dutch. It's actually the the main idea of it all comes from the Renaissance motif. Uh, or I'm sorry. It comes from a Bavarian village, which I looked that up and I went to where that's at in Germany. And I did some Google Earth looking around and I was I don't know the streets. I don't know the cool part of town. So I just went to what looked like their downtown. Yeah. And I saw the influence immediately. Right. And right, anything right, that right. wasn't a Tesla dealership or like a, a, a new like store, I saw the influence immediately. But now that we've stepped over here to the Casey Jr. And we're standing on this platform looking back. Yeah. It looks so good when we were standing up in front of it. But when you go back, the idea of how it all comes together, it... And you just see all the little pockets. Like it does feel enticing to go over there because it feels like a little village. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. There's a. It's completely charming and it feels precious. Like it feels like much smaller than it actually is. And yeah. No. I, this is my favorite land. So I'm gonna just gush obviously about every little thing. Um, but again, to me, this is when I think of Disneyland. This is what I think of. I think of this village, this design aesthetic, and this sort of. Um, I don't know. It's kind of an eternal storybook feeling. Like, it's not a specific place like, say, New Orleans Square where you can compare it to something in real life. Like, yes, there are plenty of uh, flourishes that are, 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 you know, based on existing things in Europe. But it's still, it's so stylized that it's not like this exact replica of a town that you actually visited. I wonder how different New Orleans Square would look if they would have had stumbled upon this look then you know what i mean because mm, like mm-hmm. by comparison i mean you can see new orleans square was definitely the precursor to this but it feels very basic i mean this is like let's walk over here to pinocchio real quick okay i mean look at the complexity of this we have mm-hmm. the main area that we go through which looks like a life-size cuckoo clock mm-hmm. we have this middle pocket in here that is recessed back for we only know what reason um 
you can see people cruising around in there. It has its own deck. Then mm-hmm. we have where the actual exit is, which once again has another uh, railing on top of it, painted a different color, has this weird little roofway, archway that we walk through. The landscaping around here is at different levels. The the planters all look like they were made out of like a, a mud that the farmer went in there. Like each one of these four buildings in this small little area feel completely independent of each other, mm-hmm. but yet at the same time, so dependent on one another. Like it's fascinating to stand here. Yeah. Nope. It, it creates, again, it's that, it's that overall feeling of, of being sort of immersed in this thing, right? We, we get no glimpse of anything else in this thing. Even, even Dumbo, which, which doesn't fit into this time period or, or anything like this is behind us. So we don't get that kind of invading on us. Um, maybe the merry-go-round would be the only thing that sort of um, feels a little out of place in, in this thing. But even that feels fine the way that they've sort of uh, created the structure that houses it. So yeah, it's a, it's a gorgeous little area and it's sad to think of people just sort of rushing by to, to, right. <laughs> to get in line or get on a ride because there's so many details in this area that are just, it's a shame to miss them. How many times do you think a parent has to explain to a child, like a child that's really paying attention, hmm. no, we've done all the rides, and the kid's like, yeah, but I haven't been up on that balcony yet. <laughs> right, right, you know, right. Like, well, Where's I, that? I haven't been in that building yet, but like, no, you have, you dummy. You know, it's like, <laughs> but looking at the the Pinocchio's Daring Journey, like the entryway, right? The, the yeah. oversized, like, cuckoo clock. I love the toy that sits on top with the little lance, like mm-hmm. the, the carved wood toy and all the painting in there. And there's actually the, the Pinocchio like puppet out there. So it definitely says we're going into a toy maker's house or, or, yeah. or, or you know, a craftsman's place. But then the spire that sticks up behind it, it almost looks kind of German meets Russian. You know what I mean? Like, mm. it, it, like that sort of like. Um, I wish I knew the term for it, but how it kind of swells like a teardrop uh, yeah. up to the top of it. And then we move over to a balcony that we've never seen anybody stand on, but it would blow my mind if I went there one day and somebody was out there waving at me. <laughs> Let's look at these weather vanes. So the Always. school of fish is obviously, that's a, a, a callback in the world of Pinocchio, right? Mm-hmm. And then we see the actual weather vane that does have the north, south, east, west on it. And that is an actual well. So that is mm-hmm. tying in uh, Monstro, correct? Right. Yes. Yes. And then work me to this one over on this sort of triangular spire, mm-hmm. the stork that does, we know it's a stork because it's got the, the baby um, satchel or, or blanket right. or whatever you would call that, diapers, whatever it was. It's got mm-hmm. that in its beak. Does Does that play in? to Pinocchio or is that sort of the symbolic of he wanted a boy he wanted a child so to me that that is the one thing that seems out of place but it's um that seems more Dumbo um because that's a whole Dumbo thing um so I don't know if that's just sort of paying homage to that over on that other side or or if this structure was originally so right there on that corner is like an interesting little spot there because it's kind of like right it's like a little shop or something right between i think the restaurant and and the pinocchio ride um so i don't know if that is specifically for um dumbo um which i assume it is because it doesn't quite make sense in the time period i think of of everything else so i I think you know obviously it's all fantasy land so uh, it can play you know maybe that's a baby shop or something at (laughs) At could've, some point, I don't remember. Been. I mean, I remember yeah. when that was turned into a pop-up 
uh, Elsa and Anna meet and greet. Yep, there was a Rapunzel thing there for a while too. I mean, yeah. that was crazy. I I always wanted to think that they went deep on the symbology that Geppetto wanted a kid and and that sort of that longing for it. But Fantasyland is uh, about children and their dreams, so having the stork in there just you mm-hmm. know it, it does make sense. Um, I have a question for you about Dumbo. Are are crows really racist or just depicted that way in all cartoons from the 50s to the 70s <laughs> you can tell me afterwards yeah that's great all right so when we walk over to the other side of this bridge right like yep think about this they purposefully when it's all about people flow they built a stone tower with this beautiful little covered bridge on it that right. looks like it would break in half if you walked across it. it yep. I mean, it's it's designed to look weathered and worn. It has uh, hearts and diamonds and, and like clovers and, and blue horseshoes and all these little things on the side <laughs> of it. But this is so crazy because in this one little pocket here, we have three different doors. We only use one of them. And mm-hmm. then we have this little shop that you were talking about in this little cul-de-sac. Right. Like right. there's so much happening in a spot that is maybe at most 15 feet wide. Yep. 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 But the, um, so again, with this thing here, like the scale, right? The scale of that tower. Yeah. The scale of that bridge. Everything is off and wrong, but it just makes it look so charming and cute. And it doesn't matter if someone's up there or, you know, because like it's like the birds in Carsland or whatever. Like the minute somebody's up there, the, the thing is it doesn't look right anymore. Right. It looks wrong. So it's just perfect though i just think it's like it's strictly there for charm and for an aesthetic thing and i love that i i i love that you know there's a lot of different stained glass windows here in the the faux rock tower there's just the tiniest little window <laughs> yeah with the curved top yeah and that bridge i mean maybe maybe some kids could cross that bridge but the scale yeah. goes completely out but, right But that is what makes all of this feel like walking around in a model train set, Mm -hmm. right? Like you feel like you're walking around inside of a model and and, and not something that's real. But here we have uh, another set of balconies and there's flower beds and flowers painted on the outside. Like just so much happening that the attention to detail is just, it's outrageous. And like I said earlier, Lots of different colors, lots of different textures, lots of different shapes and themes goes together flawlessly. Yep, absolutely. And they did a really good job in this area of not making some weird, like, uh, abrupt end, you know? Like, everything's themed. Everything's done right. There's no funny door here uh, to the side where it doesn't look right. Like, everything was either covered or or placed in a way that you don't see it from the the main walkway. It's it's perfect. Yeah, it's like there's no... You're absolutely right. There's no abrupt endings right there's Mm -hmm. no like weird spots where it's like and that's where the budget ran out right (laughs) yeah i would really love to know how much they took out right like we're seeing the finished piece Mm -hmm. but i would love to see uh conceptual sketches yeah round one i'd love to see the buildings that didn't fit because you know everybody every designer every artist knows when you're walking your dog or driving your car, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And right. then you pull out your iPad or your sketchbook or you sit in front of your computer and you go, one of those fits. 
Yeah. Like one of <laughs> yeah. those ideas fits in here. But that early ambition of dreaming, you feel like you can get it all in there. So I would love to know what the evolution of those sketches look like. But then also, I would love to know when the foreman walked up to him and said, so um, what do you guys want me to do with this pipe? Because it's not fitting. You know, like yeah. there had to be something that just like got scrapped because I, this sort of perfection in design and in, in, in particular environmental design, I think that happens by really massaging the body of work and getting it all right. I mean, this is an enormous amount of time to get to where we're at. Oh, completely. And I'm wondering, too, like how much uh, like, you know, when things start getting close on budget or, or just that it's, you know, like, oh, this costs more than we thought it was going to. Or, you know, like, let's just forget that and do some simple like simple pavement instead of doing all these like, uh, br- you know, bricks or, or stone uh, instead. And um, but it, there's something that glares, you know, that's glaring or like a mistake or looks like they cheaped out on it like and i don't know if that's just happened over the years since since the remodel right, um right but everything looks i mean like you look at the imp- the improvements they made to the dumbo ride uh, again it's one of those great things where it looks seamless right it, they didn't go over the top to they made it made work it fit into in. that area even better yeah. yeah there was for a while on the back side of the dumbo mm. uh rebuild there's just like a blue weird wall that <laughs> yeah. trees hadn't grown over. And, you know, right on last week's episode. And by the way, if you didn't hear the beginning of the show, cause you thought it was an advertisement, as long as the gates of Disneyland are closed, I'm doing new episodes every Wednesday. Jared's doing as many as he can fit me in. And I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, but last Wednesday, when uh, our mutual friend Philander Butler and mm-hmm. I were over in DCA, DC is a work in progress, so you can feel open to be a little critical on it because you know that it's not done yet. But Fantasyland, and this is rare for me to say, zero complaints. Yeah. (laughs) Zero complaints. Like, this is one of the parts of the park where I don't have, well, you know what I would do is I'd cut the sidewalk up. I mean, I have... The only complaint I have is that it doesn't go on longer because Mm -hmm. I would destroy anything to keep this going. And in fact, Tomorrowland, I'm looking at you, kid, when I get that budget. (laughs) That's clear. Let's walk over to the far side because even though it fits in, in every imaginable way possible, Mr. Toad's wild ride is Mm -hmm. an oddity all into Mm -hmm. itself. For sure. And when we look at this building, it's got the endless amount of pockets. It's got the most complicated roof you could imagine. Mm -hmm. But with this one, they stuck to just making it like um, a manor, right? Mm -hmm. It's a mansion. It's a manor, whatever you want to call it. it. It's all stone everywhere. And even though there are about four or five different types of stone, a little bit of plaster on some of the chimneys, this one is different than the others because it actually does feel like it's all supposed to be one building, right? Right. Uh, instead right. of like sort of a, a little village square that's, you know, right. that's, that's where the cobbler lives and that's maybe a restaurant or that's where somebody lives. This one just feels like it is a rich guy's palace. Yeah, for sure. It is the most elaborate facade for one of the crappiest, most beloved rides. <laughs> 
in the park, I think. Um, it, it, it's it, The facade is the star for this ride, I think. Um, even in the queue, the interior queue, the interior queue is more impressive than the actual ride when you go through it. The woodwork? Um, yeah, well, just everything. Everything yeah. that's in there. Just uh, just that you see part of that ride um, while you're standing there. Quite a bit of it, actually. Um, and some effects that happen right there. But yeah, there's that toad statue. There's the portraiture on the wall and things like that. Um, and then you go into this ride. And it's a lot of this. It feels the most carnival of all the rides, right? There's the most of these sort of cardboard flaps that move around. A lot right. of painting on walls and not heavy on the animatronics or anything like that. So um, this, to me, the facade is the star of this um, sort of questionable ride for a movie that I think a lot of people don't have a lot of association with, no. especially younger kids nowadays. I don't think they even know what this is referenced on. I feel like if a eight-year-old kid rides this today, mm. they like come out and look over and I'm like, I get it. Don't drink and drive. You die and you go to hell. <laughs> because if you don't know any of the IP and yeah. it is such, you know, it's a dark ride in both sense of the term, both you're in the dark, mm-hmm. and, and the narrative of it is pretty dark. I mean, you actually go to hell in this ride, right. um, which I, I'm I'm a huge fan of this. I don't I don't know if it goes to the hundredth anniversary, and mm. just the mere mention of Toad not making it till the end of Disneyland just infuriates the diehards. But at some point, as we're learning, Disneyland is a business and it does need money to keep things going and i just you know right now not a lot of people know this franchise mm-hmm. let's go up to when they pull the capsule out in 2035 yeah. who knows it then you know like you and i are on the cusp of that last generation that knows this and like i think i know this from seeing like shorts in school from projector days you know when they mm. roll out the projector and like put the film through the thing and the, the, the machine like i didn't go see this in a movie theater no way like this no, was a projector right, movie right. at school in elementary school but this facade um is so cool and it it just this ride is an oddity at every way that you slice it up and, and you cut it up it is just different than anything else through and through yeah for sure. I, I think what they should do, like, ideally, is they should plus the heck out of this thing. Um, uh, so it's a it's a weird ride. And like we said, nobody knows this IP or cares about it. But the ride is always very busy. Like, there's usually a line for this thing. It's not a Peter Pan ride, but it's it's right up there with Snow White and Pinocchio as far as how, you know, it's probably the worst of the, of the other three. Because Peter Pan is always a nightmare, no matter what. Everyone knows that. But usually you can jump on the other three pretty quickly. Um, Toad, when that line gets long... Um, I, I will never ride. I rarely ride this ride. <laughs> the, the interesting thing about Toad, though, is like out of all of the rides in Fantasyland, it probably somehow bizarrely, once again, this ride makes no sense. Mm-hmm. It seems to have the biggest footprint for line because mm-hmm. you go through Toad's garden and none of yep. these other buildings have like a secondary holding spot. I mean, right. Peter Pan has like the, you know, the patio or garden out front, but that evolved over time. I mean, this one right. literally has like the side garden of toads, which thematically goes very well into that you're walking around his manor because if you were a rich person, you would have this. You go through that little tunnel, then you're back out front. Like, 
it actually, maybe it's because it's the benefit of getting an, uh, an, an in-lot in your neighborhood. You know, everybody wants to live mm. on the corner because you get a little <laughs> bit more space. That's but right. Even in here, when we're walking around the line, there's these little plaques of the four main characters poured in concrete hanging on the wall. Like, it is just, it's maybe one of the most decadent facades in the entire resort. Yeah, for sure. And then you get some of that castle back yes. there too, right? You get that castle feeling back there. Now, something um, that, yeah. hold your thought, because while you mentioned that castle, Disneyland did something very, very interesting going back, I want to say, maybe three or four years. You remember when there was that incident where somebody got hurt over on Space Mountain? One of the workers got hurt mm-hmm. on Space Mountain. So they came up with a deal with OSHA that they would go around the park and add more rails for cast member safety. Right. This is people, this is the magic of Disneyland and why it's worthy of our time and money and energy and passion and love is because a lot of places would have put up like a pipe railing because it's Mm. inexpensive. You buy it by the boatload. Workers know how to weld it and everything would have just a flimsy rail around the top of it. Yeah. Yeah. Disneyland built all of these rails in the theme of whatever was around them. So if you look at old photos of Space Mountain, there's now an extra spire on the very top, which Mm -hmm. is actually a safety rail. And when we go into Pirates of the Caribbean, there's more uh, kegs of dynamite, which is really a safety rail. And in Fantasyland, as you see more and more of Sleeping Beauty pop up around these facades everywhere, that was recently put in as more safety rail to keep their cast members safe. Imagine how horrible this would look if there is just a pipe railing up there versus what makes us feel like we're actually inside of the the safety of the castle's wall. Yes, exactly. Or you don't even notice it, right? Because that castle is so prevalent throughout. You you think like, was that always there? Like, you know, it's not like you're suddenly seeing this very modern. So the, the one area that that was a big problem was with the Alice ride. Yes. Um, where, where you're coming down the leaves on the outside portion. And that was the most sort of glaring thing. That was probably the biggest challenge, too, because it's so prominently part of the ride, one of the best parts of the ride, that that was a much harder thing to sort of hide uh, behind structure or, or anything else. But um, here, when they did it in Fantasyland and on the other side of the um, of this area as well, you don't even notice it. You just you would question if that was always there from the beginning. One of the things that's really fascinating about Mr. Toad is obviously he's extremely wealthy, um, Mm. has some bad habits, but he thinks a lot of himself and he spent a lot of his toad budget on statues of himself. (laughs) Right. Not only is he above his beautiful, like German inspired window, but there's a, that's just his, his bus, but there's a full statue of him. Mm-hmm. In the main entryway. And then when we go inside, there's another wood full statue of him. His yep. head is on all the beams that go in that opening room. <laughs> and then That's right. Just for good measure, because, hey, he likes to spend money on himself whichever way the wind blows. There's a weather vane of him in his buggy outside yep. around that little circle, like hut type shape. So um, really loves himself, that toad. Yep. You get maniac. It's great. Have you... <laughs> Surely you have. You've illustrated Mr. Toad before. Uh, yeah, he's been part of, like, a smaller part of 
of other things. Again, it's not a it's not a character or a film that everyone is like in love with. Um, I think they are in love more with the attraction than they are with the actual film. Um, so um, yeah, I haven't included him much, but he does definitely have a, a following just because of this. All right, let's move over. We're gonna zigzag around because I'm kind of trying to do these in what I perceive as the popularity, right? So let's go over and look at Snow White. Okay. And, oh, weird. The construction walls are down and it looks like it <laughs> used to look. Huh. <laughs> this really is fantasy land. My goodness. So Snow White, uh, it kind of has the smallest facade out of all of them. Mm-hmm. It's really, really tiny. So if you and I walk over here around the corner, we're already over into the bibbidi bop. What is it called? Bibbidi bobbidi boutique. There you go. Which is a beautiful store. It is. Beautiful store. Walk in there, look at the owls and the light fixtures, the rabbits that are on all the columns on the walls. Mm-hmm. The cuckoo clock's fantastic. Look out front the door and you'll see Hook, the alligator, and what's his name? Schmitty? Schmee. 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 Mr. Schmee. Mr. Schmitty. I love Mr. Schmitty. He's one of my favorite characters. New York character, yeah. Oh, Mr. Schmitty, get my boat ready. (laughs) But when we look at the former Snow White facade, it's pretty tiny compared to the Mm -hmm. other ones. Yeah. It's pretty tiny, but rich in its dreadful details. Skulls with ravens standing on top of them to hold everything up. The spire or the the turret that the evil queen peers out Mm -hmm. of every two minutes. I'm just saying this right now. Disneyland, I love you. (laughs) But you move the evil queen out of that window when you make this Snow White's not-so-scary adventure, or whatever it's (laughs) called, Snow White's friendly adventure, we're going to have to have a talk. We're going to have to have a talk Mm. when the evil queen's gone because one of the best details of all of Fantasyland. I can't imagine that going away. That would be awful, right? But this uh. this design, it's interesting because you see the area that we stand in. Mm-hmm. There's the main big tower that feels sort of evil. When you walk through the door, you go right around and you look through the holes and it looks like a Slayer album cover. <laughs> Love that. Gargoyle and all the yeah. change. Take money. I haven't spent enough today. Take all my money, Disneyland. Actually, it's always great to give your kids money to throw into the wishing wells because that yes. money gets pulled out and it gets taken over to Children's Hospital Orange County. So That's right. Um, it actually does make a wish come true. Mm-hmm. But this facade, dreary trees blocking it. You can't kind of see it. Um, I'm sure I'll love whatever they do and I'll get used to it. But I've always enjoyed the creepiness, the scariness of this attraction. And you see a lot of super fans say a lot of really dumb things. Mm -hmm. And I try to always be a fan that has like logical ideas, but I would say a dumb fan thing. If there was a way that this building could have been picked up and put on the outskirts of fantasy land, it would have made it even better. It's a little thematically wrong that the creepy kind of abandoned dark one is right inside the castle. Mm. You see what I'm mm. saying? Like Interesting. Swap this out with Toad or swap this out with Village House. Maybe move, you know, Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. It, like almost if this wall was backwards and this was over on the far side by the restrooms where it yeah. gets woodsy and not a lot going on. 
it would make more sense that the scary house on the block is the one that's also the furthest one out. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a like a looking backwards kind of thing, yeah, right? That's why because it's dumb uh, fan advice, because that's yeah. impossible. <laughs> yeah, That'll exactly. never happen. That's stupid. So, no, but I mean, Pinocchio it was new in '83. It wasn't. It wasn't part of the original uh, group. Which so blows this was a, people's minds. I know, and and this was probably a big deal to have a Snow White ride, right? Like it's it's like um, it's the equivalent of like Avatar or something like that, right? Like it's their big, <laughs> it's their big film. Of course, they're going to have the thing, so it should be front and center um, up there. And um, then you look across to Peter Pan, and that's a very different feeling. What I like about the placement of this one is it it feels like a continuation of the castle, but it transitions from this very. Um, you know, the castle is very storybook, more so yes. than anything else yeah. behind it. Um, so this kind of transitions us into, um, because the queen's in there, this is like a castle thing. And so it's like a continuation of the castle, but transitioning us into this very different look for, for fantasy. Now, when it was before, when it was this sort of medieval fair or whatever like that, it probably had less of a, like, uh, you know, standing out from that way because everything looked sort of cardboard and like entrances to rides um but here because you could just walk right past this thing without even realizing that it's uh, that it's its own attraction that's not part of pinocchio or something else which has more of a, a a ride facade than this one this one is just very like pushed to the back and the entrance is sort of um subtle and there's nothing huge out front to say that this is um the big snow white ride yeah it has a a, a well-themed cloak of mystery surrounding it, right? Mm-hmm. Which I, plays well into the attraction. Now, I was there one day when the construction... I'm sorry, I was here one day when the construction <laughs> walls were down uh, yes. due to high winds, and the paint job was very bright. Like... The new, yeah, the new paint job. Purples yeah. and yellows and really stepped up a bit. You know, um, Disney's about perfection. And they will paint an attraction. They will step back and look at it and go, it's too bright, paint it again. So for them, it's not final until it's opening day. Sure. But I can see that too as a transition from this castle, which is very bright and colorful, more so than anything else in Fantasyland. If they just flipped it that way, right? So it's going more towards the castle than it is going towards uh, the rest of Fantasyland. Um, So I, I could see that making sense i am excited like i i understand the tradition of a lot of this but i am excited for a revamped version of this ride and um and and anything else i i wouldn't want to see a lot of the aesthetic of the exterior go away but i think the inside can certainly use um some blessing well a lot of people were like oh you you bummed about that i'm like no because it's not a good story that it tells Mm -hmm. i mean Mm -hmm. the first time i wrote it i was like what yeah. Like, I, I immediately want to get in line and write it again, but did I pass out? Did I hit my head on something and miss a scene? And so the story wasn't good. You know, if they right, told me right. we're going to take apart radiator racers, I mean, mm-hmm. why? It's, it's it's flawless. Like, it is a yeah. great ride. Unless you're going to put, like, new, new in there and really, like, plus it out, which would be hard to imagine because it's so good. Like, yeah. you know, there's, I would say, Rise of uh, the Resistance, there were a couple of rooms where, you could fit a little bit more in. Yes. So I wouldn't yes. complain about that. But I mean, this one, uh, this story is just, it's its wacky. It, it has one of my favorite rooms of the entire park in it um, that does a lot of messing with scale and staring through one of those famous Disney keyholes that really like frames the real world 
in a way that only artists can do in illustration mm. and, and animation. But yeah. I, I, I really, I love this building. And, and now that we've done this whole little wall here, from Snow White to the Village House, this might be my favorite run in the entire park. Mm, interesting. I just yeah. I love it so much. But the Snow White one is an interesting one, too, though, because I think it's one of the sort of um, specific things to Disneyland where we have nostalgia for nostalgia. Yeah. Uh, because like you said, it's changed over the years. It has gone through quite quite a bit of changes but just because we know that it was an original attraction in theory um <laughs> that we feel like oh it shouldn't be changed even though it has been changed quite right. a bit over I mean, the this years will be the third yeah massive rehaul to this attraction um and in, in its history so mm-hmm. now i think what we should do is everybody's waiting for us to talk about their favorite part of the park mm-hmm. so let's go ahead and do the expected thing because you know if we really wanted this podcast to be about like doing like, oh, what's the coolest thing? We would have did all the big attractions, but we'll go ahead and do it. Let's walk over to the Christmas shop, I was which is say. the Christmas shop. I chop. I love it <laughs> so much. Look at it in all of its glory, Jared. How much do you love the Christmas shop? Uh, I love the Christmas shop. Again, like we talked about on the last episode or uh, the Small World episode, um, all of Fantasyland feels like Christmas. Um, so I, I would be fine with um, Christmas decorations up around here year round. <laughs> so the Christmas shop is this nice thing. Like you can go in there, get your hit of Christmas. And I do. Uh, and then, yep, yep. And then be on your way. Let me tell people about some great gems of the Christmas shop. Uh, first off, the mailbox out front has a skull on it, which is great. Why wouldn't you want a skull on your, your mailbox? Those, what is the origin of that? Do you know the origin of that? Why that's a skull? Well, I do, because if we look up here at this turret, you yeah. see that there's daggers like carved into the wood. Remember, this used to be the old medieval shop where sure. if you were at Disneyland having a great time and you felt like, you know what? I need a souvenir. I need to take home a sword. You could buy all your swords at the Christmas shop. And so this was like a medieval shop. So I think it was designed to sort of be like, this is where the knights would get their armory. Um, Mm. But then it got transferred over to the Christmas shop once they started doing away with all weaponry in the park. And, you know, now nothing with a trigger is allowed to be sold at the park. Um, Or it has to be orange or something like that. It can't be a black thing. Um, yeah, this was like, they used to do like a coat of arms thing or something yeah. here too, where you get your family crest or something or, or had something made. I didn't, I don't remember exactly. You know, I, I went in there because I, I go into everything at Disneyland and yeah, there was never anything happening. Um, and now when I go into the Christmas shop, there's normally people going in there and, you know, they sell ornaments all year long because some people, March is going to be the only time they're there. Yes, and so they're going to, exactly. they're going to grab an ornament to remember their time. And when we were in Paris, we were desperately trying to find an ornament to buy, you know, for our, our big souvenir. I do also love that it has Christmas trees carved into the shutters uh, mm-hmm. and that they keep some of those um, beautiful red flowers all year long because that is the, the flower of Christmas. And up on the rooftop, it's an easy spot to really point out yeah. some of that new safety rail they got going. But I was just joking with you guys. I know that everybody wants to go over to Peter Pan's Flight. Somehow Mm. the most beloved attraction in all of Disneyland. (laughs) The worst queue in all of Disneyland as well. But you know what? Whenever somebody has juice, 
and they get me on this ride in the middle of the day, whether it's VIP tour or someone that's there with one of the um, passes due to physical restraints. Sure. Um, I've, I've been there a couple of times when somebody has had a pass and like, hey, I have the VIP pass today or whatever. Mm. Care to ride Peter Pan? And I go, dude, I am never, ever saying no to riding Peter Pan <laughs> while the sun's up when I don't have to wait in line yep. because I will only ever ride this as the last ride of the night. I mm-hmm. get in that line at 11.59, not a minute earlier. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is, uh, it's like so the heart of, of um, Fantasyland, I think, um, for so many people. Um, and again, it's the worst queue if you actually have to stand in that thing and you get into the heart of it there over to the right and, and it's just hot and you're breathing other people's air and you're just so close to everybody else in that tight little spot. But it, it is, I think, the best ride in, in Fantasyland by far. I, it's one of the best rides in all of the park. And, you know, mm-hmm. this outer facade... If I do the storytelling of it, you feel like far over on the left, it looks like a family's home. Mm-hmm. And then to the right of it, it feels like a village. And then they put the tower there that feels reminiscent of the tower that they fly over the top of. Right. And over to the side of that tower to embrace that subtle vibe even more, it's just rooftops, random mm-hmm. rooftops. So it literally goes in the order of Peter Pan's flight of from your home over your neighbor's house over the the big area you know Big Ben or whatever in the middle of town Mm -hmm. and then over the other villagers houses so the storytelling of this is fantastic and then once again the pirate ship weather vane on the Big Ben type building and the crocodile or how do you know if it's a crocodile or how do you know if it's an alligator I have no idea. I think it's a crocodile, though, in, in, in terms of the film. But and then you I see that know. weather vane as well over the top of that sort of cathedral gazebo type thing over there in the corner. It's um, interesting to me, too, how as we look at all of these things here, this is sort of the England side of this yeah. thing. Uh, but uh, there are these subtle subtle differences to all of these facades to make them look cohesive and yet distinct yes this this feels like toad hall but it doesn't look like toad hall but it works so well together almost seamlessly toad would be the rich guy it would be the the mansion in in this neighborhood and then on the other side you have snow white which looks like sort of a a dark abandoned castle Mm -hmm. into pinocchio which looks like sort of the village shops yeah. To then, or maybe the villagers, I should say, and then right. you have a village house that looks like the, the the sort of the shops or the bigger. So like each one of these walls tells a story from left to right. Mm-hmm. They all feel like different attractions, but lend a little bit to the to the, the the neighbor on either side of them. And then the bridge between all of it is Sleeping Beauty there in the middle. But the Peter Pan facade at night is probably the prettiest one mm-hmm. yeah well i think that's when it lends it that it, that you do see sort of the queue and it's sort of dimly lit like that and it just looks 
very charming. It looks the best when people are within the queue. When you got everyone snaking out around in the front, it takes away from something, and the area just looks very crowded. And this area does get extremely crowded during the day most of the time. So uh, that's why I like it at night or, or like right when they clear it for, for fireworks yes. or right after they yes. reopen it. It's just gorgeous and then they spray that whole thing down so everything looks like a movie set um and it's just i think it's gorgeous at night just because of the way the lighting is i'm surprised they don't flood this area with light you'd think as a safety precaution it's dark they would. it is dark yeah, it's very dark but it makes everything look all the more charming yeah i mean that's one of the things that disney does that just shows their self-confidence in product over like trend mm-hmm. it's so dark in some corners of the park Walking on the backside of Big Thunder Mountain at 11.50 at night or 12.30 if you're just like, hey, guys, you got to leave the Galaxy's Edge. Like, it just really makes you feel like you're out in the wilderness. And you and I have had um, the privilege of leaving a certain restaurant an hour and a half after the park's closed. Right. And walking through an empty Disneyland yeah, post 1 a.m. Uh, is just an unbelievable memory. I mean, above, mm-hmm. above all. And Jared, I was asked this question with one of my other co-hosts because, uh, as you know, I've been doing the podcast every day since the lockdown happened. My, my regular right. podcast. And by the way, um, today is 49 episodes in a row. I have not taken a day off of work, uh, since I went in quarantine 49 days ago. But one of my other co-hosts asked me this. He said, because, you know, there was a guy who broke into Disneyland this last right. week. Right. And every five minutes, somebody's like, has anybody seen Bricky? Is this you? <laughs> you know, and, and it just infuriated me all day long. It made me mad because I'm like, everybody knows if you know me. Yeah. Citizenship pending. Don't have the button. <laughs> but I would never, ever break Disneyland law. But there's just, right. I don't break Disneyland law. I don't even run in there. I try not to swear. And I, I, I normally talk like a sailor. But... One of my other co-hosts asked me, let's say that I did get into Disneyland after hours. Okay. I need permission. Let's say I, had, I was friends with security guards at Bricky, Bricky Mouse. I know you love it. Come on in, do a lap, do whatever you want. Where would you go, Jared, if that was given mm. to you? It's at night. You can't ride rides. It's shut down. Where would you want to go to and just do whatever under the pale moonlight of Disneyland? Um, so I do love the view on Main Street, an empty Main Street. I think that's feels very Walt Disney to be able to walk down an empty Main Street, especially if it was during like, um, so nighttime is a different thing, right? There's Dis- Disneyland at night and Disneyland at daytime, very different places. But I think I probably would go to, to Fantasyland, specifically in this area right here, um, because it's so well lit and just everything looks fantastic. At night, um, so this yeah, is a dark. Fantasy. This is a dark Disneyland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I love that. I like. I love the way everything looks even more charming at night in Fantasyland. I would maybe say Galaxy's Edge, but we kind of know what an empty Galaxy's Edge looks like. Well, <laughs> my answer was actually, yeah, Galaxy's Edge. No, why? <laughs> okay, <laughs> because because I'm imagining walking into Disneyland with only like safety lights on. You know, mm-hmm. it's not all lit up. There's no music playing. And I okay. thought about if I'm in there after hours on the good graces and I want to go someplace that I could never go normally. Yeah, I thought mm-hmm. about taking my clothes off and doing a lap in the rivers of America. Mm. But, you know, it'd be cold. And I don't want yeah. to dis- disturb the ducks. It's duckling yeah. season. 
So I thought about it. if I go into the galaxy's edge, yeah, on my own rules, I could hop over that three and a half foot gate. And <laughs> you know, they haven't closed the doors on the Millennium Falcon, the cargo doors. So I'm for sure going up those cargo doors, hanging mm. a right, and I'm just going to sit in those beautiful yellow mustard leather chairs and just sit <laughs> in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon and just look out at an empty galaxy's edge and just be like, I'm watching that blue moon of Endor drop. That would be something I would pay for, right? <laughs> like, if you, if, you, if you could just pay some ridiculous amount to get uh, that experience or a photo or something like that, I would, I would no question pay for that. I would not judge you for doing it because I'd be like, <laughs> how much for a plus one? Oh, you're going to give me your plus one. Thank you so much, Jared. I appreciate that. Well, we got to look at all the facades of what I think is the best part of the park. I mean, it's mm. it's the magic of the part. It's the heart of the park. It's the one that I feel like is so emotional. Um, it just really, I, I could not imagine it being like a carnival or like a medieval fair. Mm-hmm. And forgive me for not knowing this. My love is to Anaheim, but it still is kind of a fair at Walt Disney World, correct? Yeah, so they have the big expansion there. So their their expansion uh, goes more towards this direction of more placemaking and um, like charm and things like that. But the area immediately behind the castle, which is still kind of the same, um, is still has that kind of you know cardboard cutout facade that they used to use in the original thing, which is kind of charming to see it because we know that's not our Disneyland. Right. So it's nice to kind of see it there. But like their small world is treated that way as well, um, and so that's sort of disappointing. Um, but uh, since they've gone and done like the Beast Castle and the Snow White, um, the, the Mine Train ride, that all looks more in line, kind of like with what our um, Fantasyland looks like. Not exactly; it's more specific to the story and the movies, um, and it's not as small. It's it's much more spread out than what we have here, but it's going in that more charming uh, direction. I uh, when I went to Paris. Yeah, I was like adamant on one of the things that I wanted to do was just walk the outer perimeter of their fantasy land mm-hmm. because it's in such a different sort of container than ours is. So I was like, I, yeah. I really want to walk around it and their castle's so beautiful. But, oh, man, I I I loved seeing their fantasy land because it's like ours, but with so much more space. So the buildings are more mm. standalone and um, their teacups are actually like moved more into the the space and they have a glass atrium over the top of it and stuff so it was really cool but as we're leaving today what do you you want to walk up and say goodbye to the old partner statue oh always gotta go walk through there getting everyone's pictures yep just wait and wait and wait <laughs> it, it's kind of amazing like the partner statue is one of those things where it's amazing to think that this wasn't always here yeah yeah, I think a lot of people think it was, too. <laughs> yeah, oh, Peter Pan and that statue was here opening day. That statue was here opening day. It would be like, uh, Walt, what do you think you are, Mr. Toad? Putting statues of yourself all around your park? <laughs> so, like, when you go into Disneyland, this is probably something we've discussed before. I don't know if we've talked about it on the show here, though. Do you go to a land specifically first? Do you, Or is it more just how you feel that day when you go through? Because I tend to go to Fantasyland first. You know what? I'm pretty mission-based when I go mm. to the park, but if I'm just going there to, like, cruise around, let me think of this. Yeah, you know <laughs> what? I would, 
What I would probably do if I was just going there to do like a solo lap, I tell yeah. you exactly what I would do is I would go up to the very edge of Tomorrowland and go, nope. <laughs> and then go to the left and walk through Pixie Hollow. And then I love that. What I refer to as the outer hub. Yeah. You know, over by the wishing well. Right. And then, yeah, I would for sure cruise through Fantasyland because uh, it is one of my favorite spots of the park. I, I also like when you stand here at the end of Main Street and we have the the two big restaurants on the end. Uh, the uh-huh. Holly, what is it? Holly, Jolly Holiday and help me out, Plaza Inn. Plaza Inn, yep, yep. These both weren't, once again, weren't originally here. Um, and I love sort of the park atmosphere that they have. I feel like they're like the perfect end caps for Main Street. Mm. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, I've I've actually eaten at both of those places quite a bit. <laughs> oh yeah, me too. Um, but yeah, no, it's perfect. What I, it's interesting from this view too is how little you see of that princess, uh, the, the fantasy fair area to the left there. Yeah. Um, you would never know that that's even there, right? Like you have to get pretty close up and cross a bridge and all of that stuff to get over there. So it's really. Again, I'm really happy with that addition to the park. Did you do the princess photo shoot thing ever? No, I've never oh, done. Oh, you haven't. No, I've never done anything over in that area other than um, lurk. I've never, mm-hmm. never been a part of anything over there. But you know, it's the way that the trees. When we stand here at yeah. the hub, you know, obviously they have everything carved out for us to see. Matterhorn, mm-hmm. um, Sleeping Beauty, obviously. You know, uh, you see that. That's the the big thing drawing you in, but. The Fantasy Fair is pretty well hidden by tree mm-hmm. coverage, as well as Frontierland. Like those two items, for whatever reason, they've really got those kind of buried. And it could be one of those things where it's not so much keeping it from Main Street, but when you're inside of those areas, like inside of Frontierland, which is kind of in the center of the park, keeping you from seeing Sleeping Beauty, right? Yes. Yeah, right. There's a couple of moments when you're on the far west side of the park where you're like, whoa. I can see the very top of Sleeping Beauty. That's kind of wild to mm-hmm. see that from the Mark Twain or, or wherever you happen to be uh, venturing down. But as we cruise down here, cruise down Main Street, say goodbye. Look at old refreshment corner. Man, I, <laughs> I, 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 those little red and white Coca-Cola tents out front or you know yeah. canopies out front and the chairs. like I, I love those patio areas so much. And I went to Disney World with my mom as a very young kid. Um, yeah. Pretty horrible vacation. But one of the things that I really remember are those chairs and those canopies. Mm-hmm. And when I went to Disneyland for the first time and I saw the, the, the yellow chairs and the yellow and white canopies, it immediately took me to a memory of being like five or six years old. And yeah. it was really, really special to me just to see that canopy. Oh, I bet. That's so Disneyland, though, right? Like, the smells. Like, there's a certain smell. And it's not even a specific smell where I could point to it. You know, like, oh, it smells like toffee or something like that or candy. It's a, it's, it's a Disneyland smell. And I can't quite place it, but I'd love to have that in my house at all times. Because it's amazing how it's a certain point in, in Main Street, too, that you just get it, right? It's not right at the front. It's sort of in the middle towards as you're getting closer to the hub. And I, I think that's the same thing as, like, when you think of the chairs like that and stuff, too, that it's just so perfectly Disney. Because, again, we're, we're past the point now where this is an actual memory for anybody, right? Our nostalgia for this look is Disneyland. Yeah. Not because we grew up in a town that looked anything 
like this. Our nostalgia is for these fake representations of it, but um, just as strong, it seems. Well, you know, we've seen in the cities that we've all grown up in, those of us who live in America, we've seen one or two of these buildings downtown. Mm. But we've never seen a thoroughfare or a stretch this long in this pristine working mm-hmm. order, right? Like, because we see them with, like, you know, after they've had a thousand coats of paint on them. Right, right. New windows put in. Like, this is, like, sort of a past, a simpler time that we never got to experience that we get to actualize and, and live through. Yeah. Uh, I really do love the the West Street here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, the where it kind of dead ends and, you know, you, you've got Carnation... Uh, Carnation Cafe on one side, and then you got the uh, the the Market House on the other. Like, there's something about those two little pockets that just makes it feel like that it's so much bigger and it goes so much further than what it does. I when you look at the old Disneyland TV show, yeah, they show you a model of a Main Street that's probably two blocks longer. Oh, bro, bro, <laughs> I would do anything for two more blocks of Main Street. Or even if it went to the left or the right a little deeper or something like that, or wrapped around some other way, uh, it would be be fantastic. I'd be all for that. I mean, it would obviously have to make sense, um, but... Yeah, I think it'd be great. That's why I can't wait for you to go back to Florida. You've got to plan some big special trip back to Florida and just see how odd it is to walk down this Disneyland-esque area. But it's so different. It's just so different. It's... um... It's uh, something that I would like to do. I would really, really like to go to Florida now that I'm a super fan and enjoy it. But Yeah, and Tokyo. Tokyo, too. Oh. Same thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, I want to do them all. I, I want to do them all as soon as yeah. possible. Um, but right now, if, if if one park opened up anywhere in the world, I'd be like, is it dangerous to fly to Shanghai right now? Because, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know that's kind of close to where things started, but I mean, you know, fake news, who knows? Maybe they're okay now, right? Yeah. yeah, maybe they're already over it, and I could get Disneyland and the vaccine all in one trip. <laughs> well, as we come up to Town Square, it's time to part ways, but man, oh mm. man, it, what a what a beautiful place, and what a fun time to go in and to look at all the facades of of. Fantasyland, and you know what? Typically, we kind of march to our own drum here on uh, Disneyland for Designers, and it's a drum that's played by the Main Street Band. But I tell you what, to make things fun, you go over to the Instagram where I've posted the cover because I'm the only one that ever posts the cover, <laughs> and go over to that cover and just say, "I enjoyed this show," and tell us your favorite dark ride in Fantasyland. And that's what Jared and I will do next. One that gets the most votes wins. What do you think favorite, about that? Favorite ride in Fantasyland. So that is, uh, go through those real quick. Snow White, uh, Pinocchio, Peter Pan. We're including Alice. Yeah. Oh, right. I love that. That's my favorite. I love Alice as far as tea rides. Teacups. Teacups. Um, let's see. The uh, boats. The Storybook Land boats. Yeah. Yeah. Casey Jr. Train and Small World. Well, we already did Small World. Okay. So that one would be taken out. Matterhorn? Uh, yeah, Matterhorn's Fantasyland. Yeah, you know okay. what? You just you gave everybody the one they're going to pick. That's that. That's going to be it's the good. one, <laughs> right? I mean, that. Don't you think for our audience, that's probably the the most favorite one? I would think Peter Pan 
for sentimental reasons and fantasy. Like, because Matterhorn to me feels very separate from the rest of it in the way, the same way that Small World does. Matterhorn kind of adheres to the aesthetic of it more a little bit, but it just feels so separate uh, for, to me from that. Um, so I don't know. I'd be curious. I love Alice. I might even pick Alice, but we'll see. I think that Alice really set the template for what it looks like to go through an older attraction and plus it up. Yes. Because the digital projections and the image mapping in that uh, attraction and the way they put it all together, like it is awesome. And it's a true enhancement, like yeah. as opposed to like trying to retool it. Yeah. And if you can time it right and you can do the outside, the halftime, you know, intermission. Mm hmm. If you can, you know, you come out and you're on the outside and you're, you're caterpillar there. Um, if you can time it right and there's the parade going by and a monorail going by yeah. and people over uh, at the Matterhorn, yep. that layering is hard to find anywhere else in the park. That's right. It looks like a like something from like video footage for an advertisement or something. Oh, really does. It feels like yeah. you're living in a movie called Disneyland. Yeah. I think that's probably, yeah, I think that might be my pick, Alice, but we'll see. That's the one I do the most of all the fantasy and rides. So. Me too. All right. it, it generally has an easier line yep. to, to get into. And um, it and it's also like when I bring people in from out of town, I'm like, look, this is one that a lot of people don't always go to. Let's do this because it's sick. Yeah, it's a substantial ride, too. It's relatively long compared to the other ones. Uh, and I never do teacups. So there I've, you go. I've actually never rode the teacups really ever i've done it a few times younger i would die now so who uh <laughs> you all right so i will post this one on mine and do this call for the favorite oh, now that there's a contest look who's a, the fair weather friend right that's right that's right <laughs> now i see how you are i see how you are well jared thank you so much for going to the park with me i hope you had a good time Always. strolling around Fantasyland. i love Fantasyland so much and you know I always love exiting down Main Street, USA. For sure. Thank you so much, citizens of Disneyland, for taking another lap around Walt's original Magic Kingdom with Jared and myself. We'll be back next Wednesday to do it all over again with you. But until then, remember you can always support the show by going to anchor.fm slash Disneyland for Designers. I want to thank Drew McVeigh for being our big supporter and getting the Rare Adventureland Lifetime of Adventure reward for supporting the show. Hey, become one of our supporters. I'll pick you at random and you'll win your very own award as well. And don't forget, you can now follow the show Disneyland for Designers over on Instagram, where we'll be posting all kinds of content surrounding the episodes we talk about here and all the other Disney content that I love to make and share with Disney fans just like you. Thank you so much for hanging out. I cannot wait to see you again next Wednesday or right now over on Instagram. Cannot wait to take you to the park again because right now the world could use a little more Disneyland and I'm happy to be the one to share it with you. Until the next time we meet, friends, live the magic every single day and don't stop believing.
Hey, I'm going to put this far, far at the very end of the episode. Okay. Okay. This is racy material. So are we still recording? We're, we're still recording. Still recording. This is racy material okay. though. If okay. You, I might take this out if Jared tells me to take it out. All right. And if you're a fair Disneyland fan and you don't like dark humor, then you've been warned. I never curse on this show. I'm always best version of me, which is very hard. I'm but, worried. Yeah. But this is something that I've been, has been stuck in my head. You ready? Okay. Peter pandemic. <laughs> you can die. You can die. You can die. Uh, timely topical humor for our, for our fans. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to draw it. You won't get in any trouble at all. Okay. <laughs> Just <laughs> get it on a t-shirt, a little bootleg merchandise going. <laughs> Come on, man. Peter Pandemic, that's pretty good. We could all use a little money in these very difficult times. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the uh, recession was hitting me hard, but I made these Peter Pandemic t-shirts. And, that's uh, right. Man, just really, really, really took off for me. All the rage.